This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey everybody, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I find myself this week in the Pocono Mountains, where I've been very fortunate for the last, gosh, I don't know, 20 years or so to have a house uh, up here uh, on a lake, a place to go and recharge and sort of get away from it all. And the one thing that has really been missing for all of those years is a proper brewery in the area. Sure, Scranton has had some, some great success in, a while, uh, uh, you know, in the past, and still does, and there are some some spots, but nothing truly close to home, and nothing certainly in this area of Lake Wall and Paul Pack, which some of you might know if you watch The Office. That's where they went on their company retreat uh, for some outdoor games and fun. Last year, a new brewery opened. It's called Wall and, Pack, Wall and Paul Pack Brewing Company. This is going to be fun after a couple of beers, and I have the head brewer here, C.J. Penzone. Thanks for having me, John. Hey, thanks for for sitting down and doing this, and. The cool thing is that you've brought good beer to an area, good locally made beer to an area that has really been thirsty for it for, for, for quite a while. It's a big vacation spot. It's a place that does have a populous uh, year-round uh, uh, demographic or uh, year-round populace, I guess, as, as, as it were. Um, and you could drink beer from other places, um, but certainly not beer that was made here. And so... I'm asking you to play a game today. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about four different beers. Yep, right. Four. Uh, and we're going to learn your story and learn processes uh, over these four beers. And so we're firmly, firmly, firmly in Yingling country. Uh, Yingling, obviously, is the, the largest craft brewery in the country, uh, according to the Brewers Association. And here in their home state, uh, they rule supreme. And so this first beer is sort of an homage to that, right? I mean, you, yep. you guys don't serve outside taps. Nope. Uh, once in a while we bring in a guest tab, but we don't have anything. Like okay. Yingling. But is that the beer that most people come in and say, hey, I'll have a Yingling? Actually, yeah, they order or they, as lager. As lager. As That's right. We're here, here in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yep. And people just, you know what that is. Mm-hmm. So which one, I'm so guessing it's... So it's the first one here in, okay. in the Pilsner glass. Okay. Uh, this is our amber lager. Um, we brew it with all German malt and hops. So, I, I, you know, I love Weirman Pilsner. Um, we got a little bit of Herbs Rucker in there and Hollertown Tradition. So we kept it real simple. And uh, what we did first is we brewed an Oktoberfest just to kind of gauge the waters. Yeah. And what the feedback was is that it was a little too sweet. So we dried out the beer a little bit, brought down the ABV, and, you know, this is our third best-selling beer right now. Third best-selling? Yes. But see, that, that's immediately surprising to yes. me because given where you are and I we'll, we'll get to, to what sells better uh, than this. Um, did that surprise you that this isn't your best seller though? A little bit. So yeah. it was for a while. Um, and then our cream ale took over and then now our West coast IPA is king. <laughs> There's no stopping the IPA train. No. When it comes though to the customer experience, when somebody comes in and orders a lager and they're expecting a yingling and you hand them your Amber lager, there's got to be a little bit of nervousness mm-hmm. there, right? Because people just instinctively know the taste of it because they, they've been drinking it for so long. They're conditioned to drinking it out of their green bottles or drinking it on draft or drinking it you know, in whatever situation uh, they, they've done. 
So let's let's just back up a little bit and brewing an Oktoberfest first is great, and then bringing it down from there. But there's there's huge differences between a Yangling lager and a an Oktoberfest, and so. What were you looking to mimic, and what were you looking to 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 hit to 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 get those people to come back? And, and instead of saying, "Okay, I tried that once, I'm not going to do it again," you know, now having it doing as well as it does, you've obviously hit that sweet spot for people. So, so how how did you arrive at that? So we took the feedback from the customers, and we went back to the drawing board and said, "You know what? Let's work backwards. Let's drink a couple Yinglings and figure this out." So we did, um, and we realized what we liked about Yingling is that it was dry. Um, you could drink a few of them, and there was a nice breadiness on the back end of Yingling, and uh, I felt like that's what we were missing. Um, so we upped the Munich malt presence in our beer, and you know we lowered the mash temperature so that we could dry it out, and we lowered the ABV a little bit, and we also renamed it, so now it's called Pop Pack Amber. Okay. Very easy to say, very recognizable, um, and people... Easy to say if you're from here. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It, Hard to pronounce, easy to drink. That's usually <laughs> what we say here. It's so, good marketing, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, ever since then, it, it's been great. People come in. Uh, it's like their go-to. They're loyal to it. Um, we have people asking for it at out-of-house accounts. We just right now aren't making enough of it to really sell it to bars, but we have that in the works. So. And how, so when people come in, what's the, the response that you're getting from them? Is it, you know, wow, this is... They're great. Uh, they're, they're actually very excited that they can have something similar. You'll get a lot of customers that actually say um, that it's fresher. They don't say better per se, but they say, wow, I can tell that this is like made here. And they really appreciate that. Um, especially a lot of customers are coming from green glass bottles. And now they're having an amber lager on draft, um, which they don't normally do up here. Bottles are still king for some reason. Um, but they're very pleased, to say the least. And I mean, obviously, with green glass, it's it's a little more susceptible to light struck. Um, have, have people brought up lack of skunkiness? Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are happy about that. You get the few stragglers that you know they love that in their beer, and that's fine. Right. Um, you know the whole like the export loggers and whatnot. So well, we're here in this brewery that you guys built uh, uh, over the last two years or so, and it has large, uh, huge two-story windows that are facing, so you can just put it in the window for exactly. two or three minutes, and you know, here's no, your here's your happy. light struck. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's the that's the first beer here, and uh, brewing lagers though. You guys almost had to do that, right? When when you opened up, because this is it's not even just jingling, but it is. Uh, the AB products and the Miller products and the Coors products that that also reign supreme here. They're they're great boat drinking beers. They're great uh, hunting and, and, and fishing beers, uh, camping beers, outdoor beers, uh, as you were. So as you were getting ready, and you came from Trogues, correct? Before this, which yep. not only has some some pretty solid lineups, but also does a lot of weird experimental stuff um, as, as well. Um, was it hard to sort of? go back in your mind from some of the experimentation to say, okay, we're going to have to go back to the beginning, go back to square one. Uh, it was actually kind of nice starting out to just start at square one because we wanted to nail our basics first. Um, and one thing I am thankful for working at Trogues and at Fegley's is we did a lot of lagers. So from both breweries, I got to see two different lager brewing techniques. And I kind of just took that to here. Knowing the market we're in, I knew we are going to have to have a lot of lagers on, uh, you know, space allowing. Um, so we actually have four seasonal lagers, and then we have our amber lager year-round. So we went in right away. Uh, I think we opened with two. We opened with a pilsner and an amber lager. So 
And was it side-by-side comparison sales-wise, or what were people looking for? Uh, The Amber Lager outpaced that a lot. Okay. Cool. All right, where are we moving to next? So next, we're moving on to our uh, Like the 90s Pale Ale. (laughs) Um, I know. I don't even know what 90s beer tasted like, because I... You weren't uh, drinking yet, or you weren't born yet? Uh, both. Jesus. <laughs> Kids today. Um, well, this is remarkably clear, uh, bronze, golden, and this really nice Pilsner glass, or sort of this IPA-ish type. Uh, I don't even know what kind of glass this is. It's they were sort called of like IPA Spiegel glasses, but... It's like a Spiegel Ale knockoff kind like of thing. It's a good catch-all okay. for us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we... One of my it's favorite... Almost like a, it's almost like a vice beer glass, where it's got the bulb on top, and... A little bit of the the Stein handle to it as well. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's all good. Um, so I was thinking back onto when I just started drinking beer. Uh, I was out on the West Coast, uh, actually Alaska, and one of the first craft beers I started drinking was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. So since we opened, I've really wanted to do a beer not just like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, but that old school, West Coast, dry, simple hop bill, um, not overly dry hopped kind of a thing. Um, so what we have here is all nugget in the boil. And then we whirlpooled with Nugget and Cascade, and then we dry hopped with Simcoe and Cascade. Okay. So, very simple. Uh, the grain bill's just as easily simple. Two row, touch of caramel malt. So. These days, and I know I, I'm looking ahead now, and we're going to talk about haze in, 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 in a few minutes, but what's the overall consumer reaction because I, when I look at like some of the internet forums and you I, I even talk to people I did an article for uh, for the magazine which is now up online uh, an ode to Sierra Nevada pale ale and as I was talking to folks about this and, and, and sort of scouring the internet people were were wholly dismissive of Sierra pale and a lot of the other early IPAs or pale ales of, of, of that era, you know, even stone IPA uh, as well, where it's like, you know, it's clear or it's got old, you know, uh, old American hops in it that nobody cares about. And, you know, where's the mosaic? Where's the, where, where's the citra? Um, I, I, I get the impression and, and I'm painting with a very broad brush here, but since this isn't an area that is known for beer and people appreciate good beer no matter where they are but this isn't like a a Denver or Philly or Boston or you know Burlington Vermont or or or, or anything like that is there a favoritism towards a classic like this style versus some of the new stuff like is this the the other end of of the spectrum right now of, of what we see online and Instagram and everything else like that, where it's, you know, let's have a, a, a hazy beer that captures all light. Uh, and that, that's their playground. But here, this beer sort of rules supreme. Yeah. I mean, this is our, I believe our third batch of pale ale since we've opened and I sell pale ale crystal clear faster than any hazy IPAs. Um, it's been great for two reasons. One, a lot of the customers are looking for that clear, crisp, clean beer. And they're coming from, say, Bush or Coors. Mm-hmm. They come in here, and maybe they don't want that. Maybe they want to try something new. We hand them a pale ale, and they're immediately happy because it's not over the top. It's still very drinkable, and um, you know we, we sell a ton of it. And you'll even see people who do drink the hazy IPAs. They, they pick up a pint of that, and they're like brought back 10 years ago, and they go, wow, this is really refreshing. I, I'm very happy you guys have this. So. I have to agree with that. That's one of the things that I've been spending more and more time on. I mean, I drink a lot of everything and I, I always try the the new beers that come out but there's something that is sort of romantic in going back in time to 
those first early days of Sierra Pale or Stone IPA or or any of the other sort of big West Coast, even a Harpoon IPA uh, with its more malt forwardness. And this this is sort of a hybrid between the two as I'm tasting where I'm, I'm getting a lot of, what are the malts in this again? So this just had two row, uh, a kiss of malted oats, barely any, and then a little C60. Okay. So it's probably the 60 that's coming through just because there, there is that... That, that little bit of like country breadiness uh, to it that I'm really kind of digging that reminds me of a Harpoon IPA. Um, but then the finish is much like I would expect from not an aggressive old school IPA, but it, it's almost like a New England style uh, in that it, it, it finishes not, not quite sweet, but it's certainly not aggressively bitter. And I, I, I'm guessing that's by design? Yeah, that's by design. I mean, we've been floating in, in the middle of the old school and the new with our beers. And it seems to kind of, a, it, it appeals to both consumer bases. So we're getting the people who like the old school dry West Coast beers. But there is some body to this. There is a kiss of sweetness. So we're appealing to that modern customer as well at the same time. You spent time at a, at a brew pub, Fegley's. And that's where you started your brewing career? Correct, yeah. And so... When you have the on-demand, and then you went to Trogues from there, yep. there's a difference between going from a brew pub where you're literally working in front of the, the customers day in and day out and you know, as you're kegging beers and you're doing it in front of them to going to a production facility like Trogues Old School uh, location and certainly their, their new modern new one where you're making beers and you're plugged into the beer scene, but you're not getting that same level of interaction. And, and here at Wall Paul Pack Brewery, uh, your brewery, the bar faces the brew house. You can see in uh, the, the times that I've been here as a customer, uh, which is uh, quite a few now in the, in the, in the last year or so, uh, I've seen you and your staff like regularly bounce back and forth. And so it seems like it's this middle ground between brew pub and production brewery. Um, and first of all, how big is the system that you guys so have here? We're on an oversized 20-barrel system. By who? Uh, Quality Tank Solutions out of Wisconsin. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then a bunch of 40s. Uh, we have all 20-barrel fermenters. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. It's all good. They look bigger. They do. Uh, so we're, we're ordering 40s, but that'll okay. be a discussion for later. <laughs> um, it's three vessels, so we can step mash, and it is semi-automated. You know, we still have to turn valves, but there is a screen helping us automate the mash program and, and whatnot. So, how much then? So that so so having it semi-automated at least, I guess that's why I'm seeing you guys at the bar uh, quite a bit when I'm here. Um, how much does consumer interaction? weigh on you for what you're thinking about next are, are you having regular conversations with people are you finding and, and 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 that's steering where you want to go or is it is it just you're steering the ship and then explaining to people why you went there i mean i think i think we're doing a little bit of both i'd say we're more so steering the ship because we are in an area where we're educating our consumers a lot of them have not really had a local craft brewery um, so we are steering the ship in a sense, but that doesn't mean we don't listen to what some of the people are saying. I mean, a lot of our regular customers give us great feedback on what they like, what they didn't like, or what they'd like to see. Um, and we're actually putting in a pilot system so that we can be more flexible with that. How big? Uh, just a one and a half barrel. Okay. <laughs> welded out of steel drums. So Nice. Okay. But, um, You've been working on that in your spare time. Uh, what spare time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll, it'll be up and running soon, hopefully. Okay. Um, and it'll be able to do everything we can do on the big brew house so we can step mash and do these other things. So we hope it's very translatable between the two. But that's going to allow us to pivot more and, uh, you know, meet that consumer demand just talking to people. So, 
are the beers that you're making the ones that inspire you as a brewer? For the most part, yeah. Um, we're making a lot of lagers. Uh, I mean, our second best-selling beer is a cream ale. Um, I grew up drinking cream ale. So, okay. You know, Where'd you grow up? Uh, here in Pennsylvania. Okay. Actually, so Jenny Cream, was that the... It was. Because we're, we're close enough to the New York border here. Yeah. It was cheaper than Yingling, so... <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, it didn't taste that bad to me at the time. So, okay. You know, you can get 30 of them for 12 bucks. I, that was great. Jenny Cream, uh, for listeners of the other podcast, Steal This Beer Might Know, and because I've, I've put this out there before, Jenny Cream is the go-to beer for me on 4th of July weekend every year because it's usually in the 90s. It's usually hot as hell. I will load up the cooler in the back of the car. I'll buy a 30-pack, and as we, we bounce around to different parties and everything, and my wife is driving, uh, I'll have a second cooler in the car that has a whole bunch of like craft beer stuff that uh, we've gotten as samples in the office uh, you know, and that we've reviewed and that you know I want to find a good home uh, afterwards or things that I've picked up on my travels that I'm probably never going to have a chance to get to while they're fresh. Um, and so I give those to all of my craft beer-minded friends, and then I'm drinking Jenny Cream all weekend long. And every year without fail, somebody gives me shit for it. It's like, why are you drinking that? It's like, because it's delicious and it's refreshing at 90 degrees right now as you're chugging your triple IPA, you know, it's been aged on bourbon barrels. Like, en enjoy that. So, yeah. And you don't have to think about it. But as far as, exactly. And that's the thing. It becomes this addendum to, to, to life. But what are the, like, you have to make lager here, but you're inspired by making lager, right? You don't mm -hmm. see this as a chore. No, I mean, I, I think there's some romance in lager brewing. Uh, I, Talk I, about that. I've been to Europe twice now, and, you know, I, that's the first place I actually tried beer that wasn't out of my dad's fridge, was in Europe. Did and your dad know you were taking it out of his no. fridge? Okay. Sorry, Dad. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, He's not listening. Don't worry. <laughs> he won't make it this far. Yeah. <laughs> uh, into the podcast. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the first beer I had over there was a Kolsch in Cologne, Germany, and I was, you know just enamored at how clean it was. And as we moved through the country, we got down towards Munich, and that's where I started trying, you know, an Oktoberfest lager, Munich Dunkel, even just a Helles. Um, and, you know, I, I was still young then, so it, it was kind of in the back of my head, wow, that beer was really good. Um, but once I got a little older and I started working in a brewery, um, then I started studying more about lagers, and we made some lagers at Fegley's. Mm -hmm. And I was asking Bo about it, my first boss, and he'd tell me about how long it takes, and you know, the different techniques on mashing and what hops you use. And there's just so many little nuances to making a great clean lager that it's just always been something that I wanted to specialize in if I had the ability to. So, But the romance, though, I mean, that's not something that you think of when... Not, I think we think of it in the setting when we're drinking it. Uh, I mean, some of the, the, the best... Uh, best evenings that I've had have been at a, at, a, at a cozy pub either in Europe or you know at home in the in the right circumstances with the right music playing in the background or you know a good book or something like that where the beer sort of adds to the overall experience but I don't often think about the romance and this is probably my fault when it comes to the brewing process okay so yeah so for me as a brewer you know when I'm stepping up on a lager day I'm doing a, a more complicated mash and for me this is exciting because I'm doing something different than your standard, you know, single infusion or, or whatever, you know, I, I have to, I mean, I'm in tune every day, but on the lager brewing days, you know, it's completely different than the norm. Um, and we're, we're paying attention to every fine detail, our pHs, and um, we're carrying it through this process. Uh, we do different stuff with the boil. I mean, we're doing longer boils, we're doing work caramelization. Um, 
And for me, the romance is, is just, I, I feel like that's, that's like the peak of my skill is when I'm brewing a lager because we get to do all these little things. Um, and that carries over all the way through fermentation too, monitoring it every day, making sure the temperatures are correct, knowing when to turn the temperature up, down, um, and just following it through. And it's a two-month process. So for me, there, there is some romance in that, just the time and effort and labor that goes into it. It's a little more than your traditional pale ales, IPAs. Crank them out in 10 days kind of a thing. So There's got to be worry too, though. Oh, yes. Plenty of worry. <laughs> your eyes just like bugged out a little bit when I said that as well. Yeah. yeah. So th- there is worry. I mean, at, you wait eight weeks on a beer, and if it doesn't turn out how you intended it or if it's just not what you were hoping for, it, it, you got to start over or you got to wait until it kicks. So um, a lot more time and energy go into that, and it's more of a loss if something does go wrong. Who's inspiring you lager-wise in the U.S. these days? Oh, man. Uh, so Trogues was one of them. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I worked there, but Shameless. I had to yeah. throw it in there. No, I, mean, I mean, I was just amazed that a brewery could sell that much Doppelbach. So that was That's, cool. That is true. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. That's Double Trouble, right? That's their, yeah. Yep. So they are, um, actually, I've had a couple Tired Hands lagers lately. Okay. I, I've been very pleased with those. Um, Suarez. Yeah. His, his we pil- just had him his on the show. Pilsner yeah. is excellent. Um, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. yeah. I don't think most people would. Um, so they are, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. In Pennsylvania or anywhere, really. But you you know, get a lot into, of the local guys. Do you get into your brewer's mind, though, when you try stuff, both good and bad, on... Do you immediately dissect a beer? when you, Are you able to drink beer for fun anymore? Like you like you were like back in your, your younger days drinking Jenny Cream. Like as a, as a professional brewer now, are you able to just enjoy it? Or are you either picking it apart or trying to figure out how you can make it? So... I, I have the ability. I can turn that off. Okay. It's tough. Yeah. Trust me. Um, usually I need a couple beers before I can turn it off. <laughs> right. And then you start focusing on other um, things. Yeah. But I, I do still like to enjoy my beer. So I try not to think about it too much, at least for the first half of the pint. I'll just sip it and just relax. Um, but there are plenty of times where I find myself going, wow, I really like this or I want to try this. You know, I, I try not to go too crazy, but... One of the things that I, I, I dig about this place, and, and it's sort of rare these days. So the, so the owners of the brewery, it's a, it's a family-owned company, uh, putting in a 20-barrel a, you know, brew house, semi-automated, uh, on a parcel of land here, uh, even in this part of the country, still isn't cheap. And the money that has come in on both the kitchen and the aesthetics of the place and the staffing and, and everything else is, is considerable and they come from the, from the propane industry. So they, they, you know, uh, this is, uh, another business for them to run. Uh, and, and, and they've clearly approached it in a, um, in a thoughtful way, right? The, the, the family is also related to the folks who own marker 48 down in Florida. Yep. And so like there's, there's brewing, in the family, as, as it were, this isn't the thing that strikes me is that this isn't necessarily a vanity project that we see from a lot of folks who might have some money coming into this game. That this is, uh, there's a lot riding on this. Yeah, I mean, their cousin kind of started the fire for them. He's uh, about two years ahead of us uh, with his brewery, and he'd been home brewing for even longer. Mm-hmm. So they they would be going down there, they'd try his beer, and they were amazed. And then he was telling them about how he was opening a brewery. 
And then a year into it, he's telling them, wow, I'm, I'm doing very well owning a brewery. So that kind of sparked the fire for them and them coming from a background of 30 plus years of large industrial experience. It mm-hmm. was, I don't want to say a no brainer, but they were like, we can, we can do this. Um, they have a house on the lake and they've been sitting up here watching the cars go by asking themselves, what does this place need? And then the light bulb went off and, you know, they broke ground last March and I was brewing by July on a brand new facility. It's pretty impressive because this, this is not an existing building. No, there was an old decrepit Arby's here. That's right. The Arby's was here. Did yes. you guys save the sign? No, the sign was gone already. Oh, all right. Somebody took that for parts. Yeah. yeah. I said we need curly fries from the menu at least. <laughs> But you know, we'll remember the old days of Roy Rogers when you can get a holster of fries? Oh my God! Yeah, they actually they were the 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 fry thing was shaped like a holster, and you could actually put it on your belt if you wanted to. Can you imagine a craft brewery doing that? Yes, <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> and then throwing it in the throwing it in the mash, and yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. curly fried holster. All yeah, the Instagram. Yeah. So many Instagrams, <laughs> but but having that family commitment though, and having. Uh, resources behind you is, is that's not necessarily something that a lot of other folks have and so it, was there a different approach that you had you came from Fagley's you came from Trogues which was obviously doing really successful but for a startup in a startup that has a, 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 a good chunk of money behind it it's not like oh okay we put a five barrel system together and we'll figure this out as, as, as we go and maybe we'll grow you guys were starting off as a potential mid-sized brewery almost from the beginning yep and there's got to be pressures that come with that and again your eyes are bugging out a little bit now but but I'm, I'm, I'm so curious about this because we don't see this on this scale in other parts of the country. A lot of places start off, on one of the first podcasts uh, that we did for Craft Beer and Brewing, I spoke with Jeff O'Neill, who said that people don't plan for success. Uh, they're planning for what are my first five years looking like, and oh, I'm gonna do a five barrel like that, that right off the bat. That you guys started with a 20, that you guys started in an area that was thirsty for it. I mean, how do you approach that? So I was fortunate enough to work at two breweries that had multi-state distribution and had a large presence in the industry so when I came on board you know I I had a pretty solid plan of you know what beer styles we needed to produce how much we needed to produce and where we needed to put it Um, on their end they looked at this as a huge opportunity there's no brewery of our size for at least 50 miles in any direction and the North Jersey market and the bordering county markets in New York State are very underserved right now with craft Mm -hmm. beer Um, so we put in the 20 barrel brew house and we built that side of the building. I believe we have about 5,000 square feet of production space. Yeah. So we built it out with high ceilings as well so that all we have to do is keep rolling in larger fermenters. We don't have to build another brewery. Um, So they're hedging on the future success. But at the same time, this place isn't too big as to where we couldn't rest on our laurels and maintain a solid brew pub and local distribution. So right now as built, we only have 2,500, 3,000 barrels of capacity. I shouldn't say only. Yeah. No, but that's, but, that's, but that's significant. It's yeah. reasonable. You know, we could stay at this forever, but if we want to build out and grow, we have the ability to do, I believe, up to almost 10,000 out of this facility. So. And you can expand and contract. Correct. And that's one of the things that I want to get to. All right. So let's, let's go to beer three. Sure. Um, this is Lake Hayes. This is our... Ooh, in a, can, in a pint can, in a proper sticker can... This is our for your hazy IPA. New England style IPA. 
Um, this is the third one. Thanks for saying New England style, by the way. No problem. Because I'm not New England. <laughs> We're in the Mid-Atlantic here. But uh, this is our third iteration in the series. Um, it's called Lake Haze. It's our first hazy one. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I come from brewing perpetual IPA. Uh, Haze, yeah. Haze was forbidden. weird for me. Forboten. Forbi- yeah, yeah. Forboten. Um, so this one's brewed with Columbus, Comet, Chinook, Galaxy, and Citra. Okay. So very old school in the boil and very new school in the dry hop. That's sort of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. What brought you to that process? So when I started making New England IPAs here, uh, I was putting no boil hops in, all Whirlpool, huge dry hops. Uh, I was using a bastardized version of Conan, and the beers were just coming out pretty muddled. So we did that two or three times, and we realized, okay, this process isn't working. We're not getting what we want out of the beer. And we went back to the drawing board, and and the beer is much simpler now. So uh, in terms of the hops, we weren't getting what we wanted out of it. We still wanted a touch of lingering bitterness on our IPA. Um, not quite to the style per se, but um, we were getting that out of the old school sea hops, which, you know, yeah, s- you know those styles. So we we've used them a lot more than we thought we would in these beers, and uh, I'm fortunate enough to purchase my hops off of some larger breweries, so they're going out and hand selecting their varieties. So their Chinook is a lot better than say your generic Chinook. You're getting a lot more grapefruit, a lot more citrus. So, I'm getting a ton of coconut off of this. Cool. I don't know why. I'm 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 trying to rack my brain as to why. Is is there is there lactose in this? None. So this grain bill is super simple. It's uh, pale ale malt, a touch of flaked oats and wheat, and carahel. I have no idea, but I'm getting like really low levels of coconut oil that are quite nice, actually. Thank you. It's uh, uh, tropical in that way. So we, I think we've been getting that off of the Galaxy that we're okay. purchasing right now because um, we brewed a beer with Galaxy before this and it had a similar coconut thing going on. Uh, but they also, it also had Comet, so I don't know if it's coming from that too or the combo of the two. So Yeah. No, that's, that's fascinating. And you're getting your hops. So your hop contracts are coming through existing brewery contracts? Mostly, yeah. Okay. Because most of these breweries are, they have a lot of excess. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's nice to have some And you're playing off of those relationships from the past. And, yeah. yeah, and it's been a lot better than me having to sign up for these large contracts and, and be at the mercy of whatever I get from our suppliers. Okay. Um, you know, I get to go and talk to these other breweries and say, you know, what's your Simcoe like? What are you getting off of it? Um, what are the stats? Can I see them? And then I can purchase them. Fascinating. I mean, and, and that's probably a lot better than going through a, a, a broker or mm-hmm. one of the, yeah. Well, we, we do still go through brokers, um, and, and I've had great experiences, and I've had others where I'm just not getting a great lot of hops. And, you know, we're on this scale, like we were talking about earlier, I need to really be making consistent beer and make it tasting the same every time. So it's been easier for me to rely on other larger breweries who are also taking those things into consideration. Yeah. And as far as malt goes, because this is the thing that uh, when I first met you about a year or so ago, when I when I just showed up at your front door and basically knocked and was like, "Hey, I know you guys aren't open yet, but you know I work for a magazine and I'd like to to come in and and, and see you guys," and kind of gave you a little bit of that bug-eyed panic of uh, "Oh shit." Um, one of the first things that you showed me and mentioned was your malt, because you guys are getting 
and you mentioned it right off in the beginning of this podcast of the wireman as well. Mm-hmm. You're you're going old school. Like you're going for you're not cutting corners when it comes to ingredients. No, and I think that'll pay off in the long run. I mean, we're we're gonna find a way as we scale to make that affordable. You know, this is still a business, but uh, it's really not that much more to put the proper ingredients into your beer, and you know the the customers will appreciate it because the beer is gonna taste better, hopefully. So. And 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 that's sort of the thing, right? I, I, as brewers get bigger, and it's not corners being cut; it's just the economy of scale. And well, we're gonna buy what we you know, can do and, and still hopefully make it taste the same though. But you strike me as the, as a purist where you would be uncomfortable going with something that wasn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the thought of that just, you know, racks my brain. I mean, I, I, uh, obviously I understand why it's done. Uh, but for me personally, as a brewer, I would love to be able to scale with the proper ingredients. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that if you can do it. So I think that's where we're looking to go with these. So the the thing is, this is this is I would almost call this chill haze as opposed to opaque, which Correct. so many of the other ones are. I like to tell people our beer is I'm hazy, up not murky. I, I'm holding up your your New England style IPA. Um, I should point out because we're not yeah. on video and this Correct. is this is radio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like to tell people it, it's hazy. It's not murky. Um, if you get to the bottom of our can, there's not going to be much settlement, um, and, and this haze is going to last the entire life of the beer. I think I was telling you earlier, we cracked a can from six months ago, still hazy. So we're going for permanent haze, not You're going for shelf stable. Yes. That's different. Yes. But but so many of the folks who are drinking the New England style and drinking the, 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 the haze uh, these days, they want to drink it within two weeks. Uh, they're conditioned that you have to drink it within two weeks. Uh, Jason Alstrom from Beer Advocate had a, a Facebook post up the other day that, that was getting a lot of attention that I got a laugh out of, saying that he was at a bar where bartenders were rolling cans across the bar back and forth to agitate the beer again before pouring so that it, it, it had the haze going again. Uh, and he had this sort of you know smack himself on the forehead thing going on. But But for this style, which is so... Still so new, still so... There, there's a lot of still runway going for it. Like people know what they like and know what they don't. But what one person likes and, and, and doesn't is wildly different from, from, from the next person. But having something... I, when you just say a New England-style IPA six months old, yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody being like, oh, I'm not going to... It's a shelf turd. And it's not. That's the, the funniest thing. Um, I've gotten messages from people who purchased the beer saying that they found a can in the back of their fridge and that it's still good. They just wanted to let us know because they weren't <laughs> expecting it. <laughs> you know, I, and I take that right, with they, a grain they, of They're salt, like but. opening it to just hate on you, right? They're just yeah. opening it to go on untapped and be like, oh man, this is terrible. It's six months. It started a colony like in that locker in Men in Black 2. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's still hazy. Um, I don't know where that obviously came from in my the, brain, by the way. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the aroma definitely had faded. Um, someone actually brought one in for us to try. So, um, but the beer was still. How old still is this intact. one that I'm drinking? You, that one is uh, three weeks old. Yeah, fine. All right, I'll allow it. Oh darn! <laughs> you sure it's good enough? <laughs> Twenty-one days. My God, uh, it's amazing how far we've come <laughs> as beer drinkers. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm I'm happier putting out more of a shelf-stable product, and I think our customers are too. Yeah, especially with the scale we're on. I mean, I'm when I'm canning, I'm canning hundreds of cases, so I can't bank on everything being sold within two weeks and then the consumer drinking all of that within two weeks so i had to take more of a technical approach to say we want to make hazy beer but we want to make it last 
So that makes sense. I, I don't want to turn this over too much, but are you putting best buy or drink buy or anything on we there? We put the canning date on and then we usually put some other weird stuff. Okay. But just the canning date. Because that's sort of the big thing as well right now with, with a lot of these. Have you guys thought about putting on a, you know, good for six months, good for whatever? We've thought about it and we, we actually hold back cases to test each week to see and how long are our still beer young is lasting. Enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet because we still don't have consistent enough data. I mean, we're getting closer, but I think once we start hitting numbers more consistently, we're going to go that route. I think that's important. I think that's socially responsible for, for you guys and, and business responsible for, for anybody who makes these types of beers. Um, I would love to see packaged on and then also, you know, drink by best buy. We've seen it with stone with their enjoy by series, but, uh, and that's a, that's a totally different beer, but it, I do like the idea of born on dating and best buy, uh, you know, certainly with Orval, like, you know, that you have five years, uh, to drink it before it completely falls off. Um, again, that's another callback to, to the other place, but it's, I think that's important though, because if all the internet knows right now, when it comes to hazy is you have to drink it within two weeks or it's going to suck. Uh, and you don't give them that information that like, no, you can try this six months later and, and you should. I'm wondering if that's where we're going I, I'd love the to evolutionary. See yeah. yeah I mean, our customers are starting to learn that. I mean, it's been education on our part, but people come in here and they still see the cans after two weeks and you know, they're asking us, is, is that okay? Yeah. And I'll crack a can for them. If they're really skeptical, I will crack a can for somebody like this is. Again, we're not on video, so uh, I just took a sniff of beer number four and got this immediate Cheshire Cat grin going. Uh, this beer speaks to me in, in, in so many. So this is your Roush beer. Yeah, this is our smoke on the water. So this is our 8% strong German lager. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's a good thing I'm on vacation. I'm just, you know, I'm going to hit the hammock take after a nap this. Here, that's yeah. all right. Put out some grain bags for you. <laughs> um, but this beer would not be the first time. Yeah, this is brewed with locally smoked malt. Um, so I took our inspiration from Alaskan smoked porter. They, yeah. they use the alder wood up there. Uh, we called Deer Creek Malt House, which is down near Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and we asked them to work with us on this project because uh, we wanted to source the trees from Pennsylvania that they were going to smoke the malt with. Interesting. Okay. So the malt is Pennsylvania cherry wood, not just generic cherry wood, but it's cherry wood tree or cherry trees from Pennsylvania. And then the malt itself is their dark Munich grown in Pennsylvania, okay. malted in Pennsylvania. You get the theme. Yeah. Um, and then we just applied that to, uh, I don't want to say a Doppelbach because it doesn't quite have that raisiny thing going on, but it's a strong German lager. Right. Because I was going to say, then the body's not there for it either. Correct. Um, but we weren't intending on that. We wanted this to still be drinkable, not just to hit you in the face with smoke and sweetness and be a mess. So now there's a cherry cordial thing that comes off of uh, comes off of this as well, uh, which is which is really quite nice. And and the smoke, I mean, I, I know some some folks always get, and I'm, I'm susceptible to it, uh, that band-aid phenolic when it comes to to certain smoky beers. But it doesn't have that plasticky thing going on. It actually has. Uh, uh, if you've ever spent time in a backyard around a smoker that has um, 
you know, good wood going in it. And then like three days later, like you smell the t-shirt that you were wearing. Uh, it has that sort of faint whiff of it kind of thing. Like you've got to put that on the menu. Is that? <laughs> yeah. John Hall says it smells like old laundry. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly what you want. Um, that's really quite nice. Thank you. Um, Why is it on in the summer? Is, so, so it, it's actually not on right now. I oh, poured that special for you. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, thanks. We, we just kicked it two weeks ago. I brewed a So it was on in the summer. We recorded this in, in mid-July. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was on a few weeks ago. I brewed 20 barrels of a smoke beer, which was taking a large risk. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it is. But we moved through almost, almost a barrel a week. Really? Okay. Of smoke beer. Yeah. Which is pretty unheard of nowadays. All on draft. We didn't do anything else with it. And we moved it to some out-of-house accounts, too. So bars were actually buying smoke beer, too. It was this weird thing. We, we think we found a little haven for it. So we're going to brew it again next year. Okay. Um, yeah. One of the things, as we start to wrap up, that I wanted to ask you is the seasonality of, of a brewery. Um, you know, there's, there's certain places, if you're, if you're Trogues or you're Fegley's uh, or the other places that you've worked, there's a year-round population. There is people who live and work and do both in the same area um, where you don't necessarily have to think about uh, uh, ebbs and flows of, of, of consumers. It's like a gas station. Like, there's always going to be customers. Brewers are always going to have customers. Up here in Lake Wall and Paul Pack, uh, you guys are very much seasonal and the seasons are, are, are certainly expanding where there's just not a ton of winter stuff that happens up here but uh, you do have the lake in the in the the early spring and certainly throughout the summer and then the foliage in the fall how much how much does do things change for you in December January February you know even March when people aren't here there's no boats in the water um, the folks who maybe live here, are hunkered down with their pellet stoves and doing you know nothing but being indoors. Um, it, it changes pretty drastically for us. I want to say we still have a stable crowd throughout the entire year. Yeah. Our regulars were pretty awesome this winter. Oh, excuse me. Um, but in in the winter time, our, our production has to slow down quite a bit. I mean, we're we're banking on May through September for the most part here being our busy season. Um, October through March, April, it, it's slower, but it's not dead. Uh, we still see a lot of travelers coming through. I mean, there's actually a huge ice fishing crowd up here. Really? So a lot of those people... Driving the cars down onto the lake? Yeah, and, and snowmobiles too. There's a lot of snowmobile tracks up here. Okay. So we, we saw some nice pops here and there of people, and a lot people of People parking their snowmobiles in the lot? It's not, it's yet. not quite there. Not yeah. quite there, but I'm sure we'll see it sometime, at some point. Um, we actually had a, a couple. They skied down the uh, telephone pole line here a few miles. They cross country skied to the brewery, so you know we'll we'll see all sorts of things. But but it's not as busy as say no. like July Fourth weekend. I mean, you you not told me before close. we started recording that like your your July Fourth was basically like <laughs> January and February combined equaled our one weekend of July Fourth. Right in sales. Right. So so you have quite to different. <clears throat> so you have to plan out your brew house accordingly with that. Correct. And, and what we're hoping helps us is we are going to do some light distribution this winter to keep our production schedule moving and to keep the beer fresh. Uh, and, and what we end up doing in the wintertime is we focus more on projects like you were just drinking the smoke lager or, uh, you know, for a brewery just opening, we have 20 barrels of food or beer going and 32 oak barrels filled. 
So we were focusing on that. Um, and we were also focusing on smaller batch things. So I was actually doing 10 barrel batches of lagers because I had time. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's pretty great in some way that we get to experiment in the wintertime and, you know, do things we wouldn't normally be able to do in July. So. CJ, so we start to, or I guess is my final question here. I've been asking folks on this podcast quite a bit. Um, what's your hope for beer? Um, my main hope for beer. Do you have notes on this? Just a tiny touch. Okay. Uh, so, you, so you listen to, you listen I, to I this podcast. I do listen to your podcast, okay. John. Uh, so you knew this was coming. I knew it was coming. I thought okay. about it a little bit. Uh, I like it that people don't, you know, usually people are like, oh, I don't listen to your podcast. That's what, you know, people are like, oh, let me think about that for a second. Well, you just caught off guard by this question. You just flipped a, a, a yellow legal pad uh, to your answers. So anyway, what's your hope for beer? Well, uh, <laughs> okay, what'd, yeah. you, what'd you sketch out? Uh, well, the first thing, you know, I, I really hope for um, just in growth of integrity in the beer industry. Uh, what I mean by that is, is not only just sustainable business practices, being eco-friendly and whatnot, but um, skillful brewing, uh, conscious brewing. Uh, what I see a lot of growing in this country is uh, not, you know, just not attention to detail. Brewers that may not have commercial experience or the thought of are coming in, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. Um, it's just a bummer when, you know, say four brand new breweries open up on the same block and, and they don't really know what's going on, it, it kind of brings craft down a little bit because maybe the customer goes in there and they have a beer that they're not happy with and then they write off craft altogether. Um, that's something I do fear. Yeah. Um, so and that's something that is very real in your area. Yes. Uh, I mean, in, in here, like I... Having come up here in the last got 20 years or so, I've been to just about every brewery uh, that's in a 50-mile radius of here. And 80% of the time, I've left kind of disappointed. Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to see that continue. I want to see the opposite trend. You know, I want to see um, people being blown away by how great their local beer is. I don't want to see people going, oh, I don't want to drink that stuff. Um, so that's one way I want to see craft grow. Um, the other thing is I want to see craft become more inclusive. Um, I think we've become very, you know, I think we're stuck in our bubble yeah. a little bit. Uh, you know, we forget sometimes that the majority of people don't drink craft beer or maybe don't even drink beer. Um, so I'd like to see us open up more to that. Uh, and, and along with that, I'd like to, like to see us be more inclusive of like different genders, races, and, and all of that. I mean, you know, it, it'd be really cool. Um, the first African-American breweries opening up down in Harrisburg. So that's good news for our state. I, I would love to see more of that go on. The whole thing about it, inclusivity, um, and I agree on, on, you know, certainly gender and sexual orientation and, mm -hmm. and, and anything else as well. And, and I've, I've, I've written about that extensively and something that I'm passionate about. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not glossing over this for the sake of glossing over it. But I do want to talk about just, just really quickly, though, on the that the majority of people aren't craft drinkers. And while the Brewers Association designates Yingling as the largest craft brewer in the country, um, nobody thinks of it that way. No. I mean, nobody thinks of Yingling Lager as you know craft in the way that we do maybe even a Sam Adams Boston Lager or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or a Fat Tire from New Belgium or, 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 or any of these others. And so I guess that, that sort of speaks back to the original from the beginning of this podcast that we were talking about is finding something that is 
inclusive to the 88% or the 87% of, of beer drinkers that don't identify as craft? Because you're living in that demographic oh, right now. every day. Uh, I think it's more of a reality for me than I thought it would be. Um, you go down the street, there's Bush Light on tap, yeah. Miller Light, PBR, and that, that's fine, but you know we are... We are fighting kind of to earn their business. Push light on tap. I, I want to go to that place. Let's go to that place after so we're right done next here. Door, you yeah. can throw a football at it. Really awesome. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? It's better. You think I'm joking? Like, I don't. I, I will no, absolutely I, go there and drink. You know what? You know. I, it's better than in the can. That's all I'll say about okay. it. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But uh, but yeah. you have this opportunity right now in, in in sitting down on this to 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 say to some of the larger folks or some of the, the mid-sized folks, because I, when I sit down and I talk with people, I can, I can say this all day long, that you're not thinking about the 87% of, of, of non-craft drinkers, but I'm just you know a guy with a microphone. You actually run a brewery in an area that, that is the personification of that. Yeah. What do you say to brewers and what do you say to drinkers who haven't had a bush light on tap in forever? How do you convince people to, to, to come around? To come around to craft? Or yeah. Or just to, to better made beer or to local beer or to, you know, whatever you think can be the, the, the next step for them. On our end, it, it's been uh, not only teaching them about what craft beer can be. I mean, we have a cream ale on. We have the amber lager like we discussed. I think the, a big perception with a lot of these, you know, the other 87% is that craft beer isn't suiting what they want in a beer. They just picture you know, big stout or crazy hops. Yeah. A lot of those drinkers, we've been able to educate them and say, hey, we make a lot of beer that is right up your alley. And on the other end, we try to get these drinkers um, involved in, in the whole local thing. Um, we're educating them on using local malt hops. Um, just the fact that we're employing people in this town, uh, giving back to this community and, and all sorts of things. I think that is another way that we've been able to reach out to those people. Um, a lot of people are more likely to come in here now have a pint of amber lager than to go down the street and have, you know, a yingling or a bush just because they feel good about drinking here. So, so give the people, give the people choice, give the people what they want. Yeah. And, and, you know, from my end, I, I, I don't speak ill of the big, larger breweries and Nor there's you. no reason to. Yeah. Um, and that's gone a long way for us saying like, Hey, okay, we understand you like that product. This is what we have. And people have been very appreciative that our staff, you know, is very understanding of where we are and, yeah. and what's out there. And I mean, like I said, I still drink Jenny Cream Ale, so. Yeah, no, I do too. <laughs> CJ Penzone, the head brewer at Wall and Paul Pack Brewing Company here in Hawley, Pennsylvania, which is uh, in the northeastern part of the state. I had to think about the map for a second because we're four deep at this point, or I am at least uh, as well. Um, Thanks for sharing your beer and thanks for sharing your story. Oh, thanks for coming in, John. I appreciate it. If you have questions or guests that you'd like to hear on the show, things you'd like to hear discussed, you can reach out to me directly at John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com. You can also go to beerandbrewing.com and there you can subscribe to the magazine because you should support good print journalism, which is what we try to do and hopefully succeed uh, every two months. You can also learn more about other great breweries and learn more about beers and the brewing process while you're there. Um, you can join the conversation with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And certainly if you're in this larger uh, Poconos, uh, Pennsylvania area, CJ, uh, where should they find you? Uh, Facebook is the best means of finding us. Our Facebook is the most up to date and our Instagram. And it's just at Wall and Paul Yeah, at Wall and Paul Pack Brewing Co. Cool. Uh, And again, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. CJ, thanks again. Thanks, John. And thanks to all of you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.
This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.